everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 249 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Today we're talking to Kevin Brown, who just ran 50 miles in preparation for his 100-mile race next month. So today we're getting his insight on how he felt physically and mentally during the lead-up and during this 50-mile run. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. All right, all right. So we've got a treat for you guys today. We're talking to Kevin Brown that you guys might know as my co-host of this Real Life Runners Podcast. Um, But as you may or may not know, Kevin has been in training for a 100-mile race, the Keys 100, which is happening next month in May of 2022. And in his preparation and lead up for this race, he ran 50 miles this past weekend. So today we wanted to talk to him and just get answers to all of the questions that might be running through your mind when you hear about somebody that ran 50 miles. Like, why in the world would you do something like that? Why in the world do you want to run 100 miles? How did you feel running 50 miles? What did you think about the whole time? How did your body feel? What did you, you know, what went through your mind the whole time? And so today we kind of just break it down. We kind of give you an idea of why Kevin wanted to do this 100 mile race in the first place, where his mind is with that and kind of the background there, um, what his training has looked like up to this point and how the 50 mile run went for him last week. And then what his training looks like for the rest of the month leading up to this 100 mile race that he has on the calendar. So we hope you enjoy it. We think, um, I think it was super helpful just to kind of get the insight into the mind of an ultra marathoner and a first time ultra marathoner really because this will be Kevin's first ultra marathon he ran 31 miles in December of 2020 and then um, this was his second longest run ever the 50 mile run and then his 100 mile race will be his first official ultra marathon um, because the rest of the other two runs he did solo around our neighborhood self-supported not as part of a race um, which is just a whole nother level of commitment and dedication and determination if you ask me so if you guys are like me and can't even fathom the idea of running 100 miles this will be a very interesting episode to kind of give you a little bit of an insight into the mind of an ultra an ultra marathoner and then also we will kind of get you you know as we like to always do is just apply those lessons to how this might affect you as a real life runner because just because you've never wanted to run 100 miles or ever thought to or even attempted to that doesn't mean that you can't relate So there are definitely things in this episode, no matter what distance you run or what distance you're currently training for, that you will be able to relate to. And I think that's such a powerful thing about running. So we hope you enjoy it. And here we go. All right, Kevin Brown, are you ready? Sure. All right. So, (laughs) all right. So our team has kind of, um, our team kind of knows about, hold on, let me fix these spotlights spotlight. Oh, Um, (laughs) all right. So our team kind of knows about, um, a little bit about your training journey for the hundred mile race. We've mentioned it. I've mentioned it more than you have, because that's how I am. And I like to call people out on stuff. And I know that like, you don't like to talk about yourself. So I do think it's, this is going to be a fun, um, little conversation to kind of get an idea of, you know, why you even want to do this in the first place. And then we can talk a little bit about how your training has gone thus far and uh, kind of what the next month looks like. So tell us first, why do you want to run a hundred miles? Because I think that's like the first question that most people ask in their heads when they find out. Cause like when I tell people, I'm like, Oh, Kevin's training for a hundred miles. And they're like, what, why? <laughs> Why, why, why would he do double question? Yeah. And then, and then they misheard you. Yeah. And then like the other thing, like when you did your 50 mile last weekend, I had multiple people say like five, zero 50 or 15. I was like, no, no, 50, five, zero. Like they're, they're like, think that they're like not hearing me correctly. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, both those numbers sound like you're mishearing the person because they're it's not, not crazy. normal numbers to no. throw So out tell there. us, so why do you want to run 100 miles? Because I'm not sure if I can. Okay. Um, it's the first distance that I've run that I'm not sure I can hit. So in an effort to kind of continue to move further and further away from like attaching time to how I feel about the results of something, I've put a distance on it to literally see like, what can I do? It's this whole run to the goal of how far can you push yourself? How, like, can you see where the limits are? And then can you push, uh, push those limits out a little bit further? And when you're racing to see how fast you go, you just kind of see how fast you go. And I've had some painful marathon experiences and have taken myself kind of consistently to a very similar time marathoning. So I've, I've kind of, I I wouldn't say I've maxed out, but I I have a ballpark of what my limit is. I think on that, Um, as far as like the amount of effort I want to put into racing for a marathon, I think I could take off a chunk of time if I, you know, quit everything and went off and lived in a cabin in the woods and just focused on that. I think I could take off some time, but that's, that's not what I'm going to do. So the other thing is like, how far can I go? And that has different, different ways to train, different ways to focus. It's got a whole different level of what is your limit. Mm-hmm. So why a so. hundred, so a hundred miles, just kind of like, you just throw like, okay, well, I, I don't know if I'm able to do this. So I'll, let's try it. Yeah. So there's a, a podcast that I listen to. Um, and that's one of the things that he has stated repeatedly as, uh, as people who listen to ours know, sometimes podcasters repeat themselves on occasion from episode to episode. One of the things he's always put out there is, um, that he thinks that basically anyone could, if they really wanted to run a marathon, some people may end up walking a good portion of it, but that basically everybody could complete 26 miles. And he's not sure that that statement can be made with a hundred miles. Yeah. That there's a, there's a bigger question mark with that one of, you know, there's a, there's an ultra marathon that he has in mind and he would like to stand on the starting line simply to see whether he can then also stand on the finish line because it's really unclear. When I stand on a marathon starting line, I know I'm going to be able to, I, I can make it to the finish line. You know, it's possible that, you know, like a calf goes wrong and I have to pull out or whatever the thing is like DNFs could conceivably happen, but in a hundred, like a DNF is definitely in the realm of possibilities. You look at the results from the last couple of years, it's got like six pages of results. And the last two pages are DNFs. Mm. Like that's a lot of people that don't make it to the finish line who are there on the starting line. Yeah. So this kind of just goes along with your desire to constantly like see what you're made of, like see what you are capable of. And, and how much of this, if any of it was, is related to your experience with like having seizures and having most Most of it. (laughs) I think so. Yeah. Well, because you mentioned, like, tell me, tell the, um, the team, like the backstory too, of like what you had said about your neighbor growing up. All right, so growing up, my neighbor across the street, two doors down, he ran. Like that was like one of the first people that I knew who ran and he ran a lot. He, I mean, we're talking like mid eighties, early nineties. He was running the Western States 100 annually. And this was before that race got so big that it was super hard to to get into off of a lottery system. He just went and ran it all the time. This is like one of the oldest U.S. ultras out there. It's it's like it's kind of similar to like the Boston Marathon, but for ultras, it's it's one of the big names out there. Yeah, and he ran it year after year, never finished it. Like he kept getting to like health checkpoints along the way and then, and then pulling out or pulling himself out because that's kind of what happens in some ultras is you get to a point you're just like, Nope, I'm done. Like I am done for the day. There's no way that I, I can tell at mile 40 that I won't make it to mile hundred. Mm-hmm. So I'm done. Um, or you hit a health checkpoint. I know one of the farthest that he ever made it, he made a health checkpoint and they made him pee in a cup and it came out all blood and they're like, your kidneys are not functioning correctly anymore. So you have to stop. Yeah. So like 
I knew him growing up. I, that I wouldn't say that's why exactly I got into running, but that's always been like the fact that that was my neighbor means that like it wasn't some crazy person that I heard of or read about in a book or saw on TV. That was the guy that lived across the street from me. Mm-hmm. So it kind of normalized that concept from you know when I was still single digits in age. Yeah. Like it was a real person that was doing this thing. So it wasn't like some far-fetched like unicorn of a human that is doing it. Exactly. Like you, when you read it in a magazine, newspaper, whatever it is, and you're like, oh, so-and-so won the Boston Marathon. Okay. Well, that's obviously some crazy person. It was my neighbor. Yeah. I would, I picked up his newspaper when he was out of town. Like it was that guy. Yeah. You like fed his dogs and like, um, for anybody that has, does not yet follow us on Instagram, please do like we are at real life runners on Instagram. Like, cause you just mentioned about like, you know, professional runners that we like to put up on pedestals. And I want you guys to check out, I posted it to my story. I reposted Molly Seidel. Um, she did not finish the Boston marathon yesterday. She is an elite American runner. For those of you that might not know, um, she's an elite American runner who won third place, the bronze medal in the Olympics, the last Olympic marathon. And she's like an up and coming superstar in American distance running. And she dropped out of the race yesterday. And so she put up a post and the caption, please go read that, read that post, read that caption, because it's just, it's so real. And it's so like raw too, of like, you know what, like we, a lot of times we do put these pedestals, you know, athletes on a pedestal that we think that they are faster than us, or they can run longer than us or whatever it is that they're somehow above us. And in reality, they're not, they're just, they just run a different pace. Right. But they still struggle. They still fall down. They still have the same issues that we have. And I think that that's just a really important thing to point out. Um, kind of like what you're saying here, like, you know, this person, it was someone that you could that you knew in your real life. And somehow that made that goal seem more achievable for you or seem like not as crazy. Right. Right. Like, cause I, I also grew up always watching, I know you did also watching the Iron Man, like the Hawaii Iron Man. Every time that was on, I would watch that thing, but you know, I didn't know that guy. Um, what Alan, Alan was his last name and and he won it like six times in a row, but he was this like crazy superhuman that you would see on television. He was not my neighbor. This was my neighbor. So the idea of being able to run that far did not seem that ridiculous to me. And when I got into running, go ahead. Sorry. Mark Allen. That was his name. Mark Allen. Yeah. Um, and so when I got into running, like I didn't get in thinking I will be an ultra marathoner. I will be a marathoner. I got in because my older sister ran cross country. So that was like, that was a thing to do. It seemed better than trying to put on football pads and get hit by people that were twice my size. That's literally yeah. why I got into cross country. Like, well, and so <laughs> what, yeah. at what point then did you like think to yourself, like, oh, maybe an ultra marathon? Like, when did that thought even kind of come into your, into your mind? Um, I think it probably started solidifying as like a thing that I would actually try to pursue probably around seizures. Um, because after that running just during that year. Yeah. Like, cause running had a different feel and it was like, you know, we had that doctor's appointment and the the doctor didn't say that running caused a seizure, but suggested that wanting running, and training at that level was one of the things that contributed. Essentially, there was too many stresses on me mentally and physically. And, you know, if I dropped running, then I could probably do whatever else I was doing. But if I dropped something else, I could probably continue running. Like, that's really what he was trying to convey. I heard him say, you can't run. But that's definitely not what he actually said. But essentially, it was just like, because my brain heard you can't run, it's causing these things. I then flipped it to be like, I can, I will, I'm going to. And since then, like the way that I've just approached training and racing and everything, I mean, we've talked about this, the Jacksonville marathon, not my fastest marathon, not my highest Mm -hmm. place finish. And I was ecstatic afterwards because I, I had done it. Like I had crossed another marathon finish line. I felt great. And, you know, the time seemed so much less relevant. Like I've, I've talked to various people about this one when 
my legs basically blew up somewhere around mile like 19 ish. I laughed. Like I kind of like yelled because they hurt so bad. And I was so frustrated that I was like, you know, moving backwards at this point in time. I was like, ah, and then I just started laughing because I'm like, really, I'm, I'm out here running after I had gone through three seizures, not sure what the cause of anything were. And now I've taken my training back to the point that I'm successfully out here training and running and competing in a marathon. So it's ludicrous that I'm getting like actually upset that my left calf is cramping up on me because that is so small in comparison to health issues that, that I could still be dealing with. Yeah. So it just kind of opens up the idea of like, what, what all could I do? Like, what, what am I holding myself back from, you know, just come up with a way to train in a way that you can chase after whatever you want to chase after. Don't, don't chase after it at the expense of other things. Don't chase after your crazy goals at the expense of your health. But if, if a goal sounds great, why, why not go for it? Yeah. Yeah. So for everybody, so for people that might be listening that aren't quite sure what we're talking about with seizures, like in 2017, Kevin had a series of three unexplained seizures. And after all the testing, the doctors still don't know what caused it. And, And then, like he said, the one neurologist that we spoke to was kind of just describing it to us and helped us understand, like, you know, there are just things that cause stress in your life, you know, family work, this, that, like running all these things cause stress. And everyone actually has a seizure threshold and Kevin's may be lower than other people's. And maybe he was just, you know, building and had taken on too much and had surpassed that for some reason. So, um, that's kind of where a little bit of that backstory. Um, so it was kind of like, a. I'll show you kind of thing. Like I'm going to get back into running and not only am I going to get back into running, I'm going to run farther than I ever have before. Farther than I ever have before, because okay. it wasn't. That kind of, was, that sounds like my kind of attitude. <laughs> it, it wasn't necessarily. I mean, at the time there definitely was a, I'll show that doctor, yeah. but with distance from it, because it's not like I immediately started training for an ultra, you know, we had discussions about how I should get back into training and that many, I should not just, many, many discussions about it. <laughs> many discussions about this. Yes. You're like, why don't you train for a half marathon and see how that goes? And then you can gradually build your mileage up and don't even train for another marathon, but just see if you work a little bit better with a little bit higher mileage. And, you know, so it was all slow processes. It's not like I jumped into crazy things, but the more distance I got from that, um, you know, from that conversation with the doctor, the more it wasn't like, I'll show him. It was more like, yeah, he's probably right. And I'll show him that I can in fact train and do all these other things that his, his perspective, well, I didn't hear it correct. The first time was as long as you take care of all the stresses appropriately, you can do pretty much whatever you want. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's really what caused us to do what we're doing right now. You know, it's, it helped us to develop a a totally different training method that allows you to do whatever you want, but do so in an intelligent way and in a way that's right for you, right? Like being able to take in recovery and nutrition and sleep and like all of the other aspects of health and really understanding that like, you know, being fit and like achieving running goals is not the same thing as being healthy. And we can be super fit. People can be super fit and be, have terrible health. And we've, we're seeing that more and more and more and more, you know, uh, elite runners and professional runners are coming out and talking about this and how bad their hormone health is because of all of the training that they've done. And I am still convinced that that definitely had a, a role to play in what happened with you, you know, just with hormones and brain health and all the things that we're learning now with science, um, that, that definitely all played a role in what, in what you're doing. Yeah, so I mean, sleep deprivation on top did not help things either. Sleep deprivation, I think was the number one. Like if you ask me what I think was the number one reason, that's what I will always point to is that sleep, chronic sleep deprivation for like 20 years, <laughs> like since college. You, it's really hard to separate all of the strands yeah. of stress on the body. It was one of the things I was listening to during my really, really long run there of the, the studies that have been done on overtraining versus underfueling. 
And it's so funny because when the studies are done and the results are these athletes are showing symptoms of overtraining, it's usually done on your classic exercise physiology study where it's like 80 to 90% men in the group. And they're like, oh yes, these athletes are showing symptoms of overtraining. And then when they do studies where they're trying to hypothesize about underfueling, suddenly the, the group that they're studying is 80 to 90% women. Yeah. And they're like, oh, they're showing symptoms of red S. This is all underfueling. And somebody did like a, a metadata study. They put all the things together and they're like, um, you guys are saying the same thing. Like overtraining and underfueling are pretty much the same thing. And they're all showing the, the symptoms. It's right. just men can't lose a period. So we don't show one of the key telltale signs of, you know, uh, that, that women are able to easily illustrate. Right. And that's why they transformed it from like the female athlete triad to red S, right? Because they realized that it was so much more widespread. It was, it's a hormonal issue with the entire body, not just like the reproductive system that, but like you said, that is the easiest one to kind of point to because the other symptoms tend to be a little bit more diffusive. So So in your buildup to this 100 mile race, now we kind of have an idea of like why you want to do it. Kevin attempted a 50 mile run in December of last year. And he had to stop because, um, his cramp, his calf was cramping up. And so he stopped at like 37 point something miles. Right. Mm -hmm. So this was his second attempt at 50 and just leading up to this 50 mile run. Can you just give us like a brief idea of like, what was your focus in, you know, from that failed attempt at 50 until now, like, what were you really focusing on? What have you been focusing on over the last few months? Uh, so there's a few things. One strength. Um, my calf didn't feel great. Literally back in December, I was a half mile into it and my calf was already sore, which is usually not great when you're heading off on what's aiming to be a 50 mile run. Yeah. And the furthest that you've ever run in your life is 31. So you're like, I'd like to go 19 miles further than I've ever done. And my calf is already feeling a little bit tight and sore like that. It was probably not the best of moves, but time-wise it worked out conveniently. It was over Christmas break. So it it was, it was going to be fine. Like I'll I'll go. And I really, I made it like 35 ish miles. And if my house was there, I would have been done at 35, but I was still two miles from home. So I made it 37 and a half. And somewhere around like 37, I started feeling slightly okay. So I took the longer direction. Like I I looped this direction to my house instead of this direction. Um, So I made it to 37 and a half. It was six of the eight loops that I was aiming for. Um, So I focused on strengthening uh, calves, hips, core, glutes, like all of the areas that I tend to have issues with that causes problems. So like after this run, I had no knee pain. Like people have put up, I've seen comments. I've talked to other people that are like, oh man, your knees had been like a wreck the next day. Like, no, no, my knee, like I had some muscle soreness and just general fatigue. Like it was tough to like fully bend, like in a marching position, it was tough to bring my knee up high that position, that direction, but it's not because any like joints hurt, like muscles were sore and tired. It's because Um, you were like in that same running position for seven (laughs) hours. Like you were in a very limited range of motion. Right. So, um, at one point I did, um, during a a walking break, I actually threw marching into the walk and that felt better. Mm -hmm. Um, I was able to run for a little bit after that one, but, um, so that was, did you add in, did you add in an extra strength day? Did you add in more like rounds of strength? Did you add in more resistance? Like how did you, um, increase your strength training? You didn't miss. Okay. So it was more about consistency. Yeah. Okay. Um, So how many days a week were you strength training? Two. I, I strength train basically based off of what we put strength training into our, our team. I, I work strength one and two core one and two. And then, um, as the miles get up, I start doing some like glute activation stuff before I take off running. So I do clamshells and like, a like a quadruped donkey kick thing before I take off running. Mm-hmm. And that helps me. It's, it's not a ton. Um, you know, we've covered this so many times. Angie loves strength training. I love what I can do because of strength training. So, um, I did not try to overdo it, but I tried to make sure that I was doing enough, which 
is more strength training than I have to do to complete a marathon. It's the same level I have to do to be as successful at a marathon as I want to be. So like when I'm really keyed in on a marathon, I make sure I'm never missing strength either. But I, that, so that was a big aspect of it was making sure I was just never missing. Okay. So sh- strength was a big one. What else? Food. Yeah. I mean, since, since December, I've put on a little over five pounds through concerted effort of eating as much as I can. Very I concerted effort. Yes. Very concerted effort. It, it involves, um, like pre-gaming breakfast. So I have like a snack as I make breakfast, then I eat breakfast and then there's like a snack and then I eat lunch. It, like, it's just, it's a lot of food. Cause I'm not a huge fan. I don't like the feeling of eating an enormous meal and then sitting there and feeling like super, super full, which you still have to do like at least one of my meals. I, I generally feel like uncomfortably full, uh, every single day. And Angie points out, I should probably do that to all of my meals every single day, but it's, it's it's tiring. Like the same way that people are like, man, that long run, I'm just going to feel exhausted. It is exhausting to know that every single day you're like, all right, it's breakfast time. Let's bring some focus <laughs> and get as many calories. It's like, you're like, oh, you can eat whatever you want. You're like, okay, yeah. But how about that day where you get to eat whatever you want? And then the next day you have to repeat it. Like it feels cool to be like, all right, I'm going to have this giant ice cream sundae. And then the next day you have to do it again. And the next day you have to do it again. And it's not like ice cream sundaes and whatnot. It's like, and now an extra cup full of rice on your plate. Like it's just like, just keep eating, which is not the most exciting training, um, but it is totally required. And I'm still aiming for around five more pounds over the course of the next five weeks or so. Um, I'm going to do a full three day carb load that usually gets an extra three pounds on me just over those three days. So if I can get an extra three ish pounds on me in the next month, then that last week, I should be able to basically get to what I want. So that'll put from January to the race, uh, 10 pounds of weight onto me. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that has been a huge ish like thing for, for Kevin and for a lot of ultra runners, it's the same thing, you know, like just being able to fuel what you need to do because you have to have reserves on your body. If you want to run that many miles, you have to have body fat so that your body just doesn't start eating the muscles. Like that's literally what will happen. Your body will start to break itself down if you don't have the fat storage. And Kevin just is one of those people that is built with a low fat body fat percentage, just genetically. That's just kind of how your body is structured. Like you don't pack on a lot of fat. And so it does, it is a very concerted effort for him. Like it is for a lot of people out there. It's not as like, as talked about, because I know that as soon as you tell people that it's a struggle for you to gain weight, people are like, Oh, I wish I had that problem. You know? So it's like, I feel like it's the answer. It's always the answer. Right. But it's like, it's, it's just so much, just as much of a struggle as it is for someone to lose weight as it is for you to gain weight. And it's just the the opposite direction, right? But it's the same level of struggle. It's eating more versus eating less. It's just eating the right amount for you, your body, and whatever goal you have for yourself. It's bringing attention to what you're putting into your body of mindless snacking for some people can be a really poor direction to head down of I opened a bag of chips and then I was doing whatever and poof, the bag of chips disappeared. Mm -hmm. There are times where I'm like, Oh, I mindlessly snacked. And I had like a handful of almonds. No, no, no. I can't have mindless snacking. I need to make sure that I've set aside. My snack needs to be like this much food. And now I'm going to eat it. Otherwise I'll take like a handful of almonds and I'll get in like you know, what 30 calories when my snack needs to be 300 calories Mm -hmm. like that. It can't be mindless, anything related to eating. Yeah. So, okay. So big, a lot of strength training, a lot of conscious eating, anything else that like you really thought that you've been working on the last couple of months? Um, I mean, really focused on fueling during long runs building the long runs, like in build up to this, I did a weekend of two 20 milers. That was a lot. Mm-hmm. So I've gradually been increasing. So I do my long run on Sunday and I've been increasing the amount of running that I do on Saturday also. So that the weekend itself is now generally 30 plus miles. Mm-hmm. 
which yeah. is a lot of running. And that's a really good way to train for those of you that might be listening. Like if you do have these really big goals, these long mileage goals, because after a certain point in time, your body just starts to break down, right? Like after you're out there running for a couple of hours. So there's really not a huge benefit physically for doing like 30, 40, 50 miles, like building up, people always think like, oh, I should keep building, right? Like people are baffled when we tell them like your longest run in this train cycle is 50 miles and then you're going to race a hundred. And they're like, wait a second, like that's double. That doesn't make sense. But the amount of breakdown that occurs, you know, really from mile 20 to 20 or 30, depending on your pace onward is like it takes your body a long time to recover. So back-to-back runs like that, back-to-back long runs is a really good way of getting your body able to tolerate mileage without all of the breakdown that comes with just being on your feet for such a long period of time. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of people like professionals will sometimes train for a marathon by going over 26, but for a lot of, um, you know, people that are trying to run a marathon in like the five hour range, you're not getting a benefit of being out there for six hours to try to run a marathon in five. You're really, your risk reward ratio is completely out of whack. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So with that being said, you know, when we talk about like our risk reward benefit and ratio and how much time we're out there on our feet. That's what makes ultra training kind of interesting, right? Because like you are trying to one of many things. That's true. But you're the goal is a hundred miles running a hundred miles. But like we just said, there was kind of like this risk reward um, ratio that you need to worry about that you need to think about when planning your training, right? So how far do you actually run in your training for a race that is a hundred miles long, you know, not a hundred miles. Yeah. I think some people might argue that you could get, you just want to be out there for hour upon hour. Like once you start being out there for many, many hours, that's a good thing. I've seen a lot of, of ultra training plans and, and, you know, coaching philosophies behind this. Um, it seems to have an American versus European difference on it because some people suggest you should run a hundred kilometers, which would be like 62 I've miles. Heard that, yep. Some people are like, well, if you're out there for 50 miles, you can probably get to a hundred, like, which is insane. If you run 50, you can do a hundred. That's double. But it's similar. Like if you can run 13 miles, like if you train a, like well-train for a half marathon, you can conceivably get to the finish line of a marathon. Okay. I don't think that you could arguably race well to the finish of a mm-hmm. marathon, but you could conceivably get there. And so much of ultra running is just making sure that you get there just, and don't quit. Yeah, just getting there. Just getting yeah. there is so much of the challenge. So if cool. you can get to 50, you probably face a lot of the roller coaster of emotion mm-hmm. that you're going to experience even more on 100. Yeah, I think that that's what I was just about to say, like that I was... Um, that just kind of came to my mind there is like the mindset and the mental strategies and the mental obstacles that you have to overcome in 50 miles, you basically are just going to be repeating those kinds of things from 50 to a hundred. Right. So like in, in most races, you sort of get that patch where you're like, man, things are not really going super smooth for me. I wish I felt just a little bit better right now. And depending on the length of the race, like in a 5k, you're like, man, things don't feel real good. I guess I'll just hold on to that uncomfortableness and grind it to the finish line in a marathon. You might get like a rough patch and then come out of it and start feeling okay again. In an ultra, you might have a rough patch and then come out of it and then get another rough patch and then come out of it. Mm -hmm. Like you've got this whole up and down of how you physically and mentally feel during Mm -hmm. the whole thing, which makes it kind of interesting that you just really can't ever feel too low because you have to think, you have to think, all right, this is just a rough patch. This is not how the rest of the race is going to come. I'm going to come through this and pop out the other side. I'll be okay. Yeah, because after you run a full marathon, you still have over 70 miles to run. (laughs) (laughs) Like you have to do marathon number two and then marathon number three, and then you're still not even done. Yeah, so we're going to talk about things that you can and cannot say while in the car supporting me on the 100 mile. (laughs) Just three marathons to go. All right, and we're done now. Like that does not seem like a good idea. Like It's like the signs on the side of the road. Like they're funny at mile one when of a marathon that says like almost there, the almost there sign is funny at mile one. Mm -hmm. The almost there sign is not funny at all at mile 18. Mm -hmm. Like it's not mile 23. No, you're not almost there. I've, I've heard, you know, a lot of people talk about the marathon that it's, 
it's evenly split. There's the first 20 and the last 10K. That's the 50-50 mark. Mm-hmm. It's not split at the 13. It's split at the 20. Yeah. And then, you Well, know, that's why they always call that the wall, that's right? That's the wall. Like, right, that, that 20 to 21 range is like the wall. Yeah, if you see somebody in a marathon and they're like all smiling and thumbs up at mile five, that means squat. Like that means absolutely nothing that their day is going to go well. It's great that they're feeling good at mile five, but it doesn't mean that they're going to be feeling good at the end of the race. If you see somebody at mile like 22 and they're smiling and thumbs up, that's a really good sign. Yeah. For the ultra, like if you're going for a hundred miles, it, it does not matter in the slightest if your thumbs up and smiles at mile five or mile twenty-two. <laughs> that's that's the crazier part. It doesn't matter if your smiles and thumbs up a full marathon in. Right. Like I've heard this discussion. Like no one cares how you're feeling at twenty miles when you're going for a hundred. No. It's kind of equivalent in marathon. So the marathon splits in arguably at like the twenty mile mark. I've heard different commentary on on like a hundred mile race. Some people suggest that if you're feeling okay with only one marathon to go, you're in pretty good shape, which just is a ludicrous statement. I've other, heard other people say that like it's the first ninety miles and then the last ten. Mm-hmm. Like once you can start wrapping your head around, I have single digit miles to go. Mm. That's the only time that you should really start counting down. Like you're not going to hit the first mile and be like, all right, 99 to go. Unless, oh my gosh. Unless you're like, you're joking. Like it's, right. a, it's funny to right. say, but you're not going to keep that countdown going. That sounds brutal. That's so crazy. Like this, this whole thing, I think to anyone that's not an ultra runner or anyone that's never even thought of it it's like it seems so like not even fathomable to me you know that like after 10 miles I would still have 90 more to go (laughs) like that just like I wish you guys could see Kevin because he's like giddy right now he just bounced up and down in his chair when I said that like there's something about this that excites you I mean, I've, a I've, lot. I've always been the kid, even from like back in high school, I was the one that picked the longest distances in track in high school. For any of our listeners that have done that, there's the sign, you know, when you take off, there's a little sign that says how many laps to go. And after you run your first lap of the two mile, the sign says seven laps to go. And there was something about that sign that to me was just funny. And to other people in the team was just like, wow, I never want to do the two mile. And then you get to college and you do a 5K, you come around a half a lap and the sign says 12 laps to go. In indoors, you've got 25 laps to run a 5K on like a standard indoor track. So the countdown is just, it's comical how big the numbers are. They're like, 25 to go 24 to go so it it's amusing to me that Mm -hmm. you know the numbers are out there like I remember I think I had like a you know AOL profile I think my my username was seven to go like it was one of those that was before you and I met then yes unless that was your secret AOL profile yeah that was the one I was that was the (laughs) secret one on the side (laughs) because that's how I operate you gotta love AIM oh AIM let's see let's see which one who of our listeners remembers AOL instant messaging. Yeah, and what their the away, away messages. messages. Yep, oh, the yeah. away messages. Away messages were like the thing in college. Like you had to do it funny or inspirational or like there were so many different ways to go about it. Yes. I liked the um, the Jack Handy. Um, Always a good good choice. What was to his pick. thought of the day? Deep Thoughts? Deep Thoughts Deep by Jack thoughts Handy. by Jack Handy. Mm-hmm. I love those ones. Those ones are fun. So, all right, let's talk about your recent 50-mile run, okay? Because in your training – in leading up to your 100 mile race, you've decided that 50 miles was going to be your longest run of this training cycle. Yes. Because this is also your first 100 mile race. So, you know, who knows? Maybe in, if you decide to do another one after this, then your training will look different. But this time around, for your first 100 mile race, with everything that you've read and researched and listened to various different experts, um, 50 miles is what you decided was going to be your longest. Yes. And I planned to run 50 back at like the end of December. It just didn't go successfully. But even if that had gone successfully, I was still going to repeat another 50. Okay. You weren't going to go over? I was not going to go over. Okay. Like, I, I may have, during the, the timeline between the first one and the second one, considered stretching it to, like, 100K. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here in Murico, we're going to stick with miles. So mm-hmm. I probably would have stuck with a 50-miler again. Um, okay, so let's talk, let's talk about that last run. I'm glad you brought that up. Because in December, your aim was to run 50 miles over Christmas break. Yep. And it did not happen. You made it to, like, 37 and a half. 
and had to stop because why? Uh, my calf wasn't functioning anymore. Yeah. Like it was just completely seized up. So technically I ran 37 and a half on the day, but I quit at like mile 34. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't at our house. Yeah. So I still had to get myself home. So I walked most of like two miles back to the house. And because I had then like walked for two straight miles, I was like, I think I can hobble a little bit. So then I went the long way in and completed like a full sixth lap or it was somewhere around those numbers. I don't uh-huh. remember exactly how it was, but I, I did 37 and a half, but only because when I decided to, to quit, there wasn't a car right there to pick me up. So I offered, I know. And, yeah. and I was like, no, I'm going to be mentally better if I have the walk in to mm-hmm. compose myself before I get home. Yeah. So, so mentally, how did you feel after that run? After that one, yeah. I was, so I was mentally pretty down, but I was also physically down. Because my calf was all messed up. Like, my calf cramped up on me. And I'm wearing, like, the calf sleeves and the compression stuff and everything. And it still just, it wasn't going for me. And then I foolishly was like, well, I didn't do 50. I only did 37 and I had to walk for a bunch of it. So then I decided, like, a couple days later to try and do, like, a moderate speed session. And then, like, really hurt my calf. That was not a good idea. totally messed up all of my January training. And you know that was just stubbornness. 100% stubbornness. Like, that was just, like, you being like, I didn't get this thing. I'll show you body yes and turns out my body showed me yeah (laughs) (laughs) like you can push your body so far but eventually it's going to be like actually Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're going to have an injury to your left calf right now yeah and I want you guys to understand this like even though we are coaches and very successful coaches we still fall into some of these traps ourselves, right? Because we're still human. We're too stubborn people. Right. We're still human. Like we still want to push our own limits and not feel limited. Like that's what drew drew you to this entire goal in the first place. Yes. Is to prove to yourself that you weren't limited. So here's your body telling you, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, this is a limit here. You can't do this. And you're like, oh yeah, I'll show you. Yeah. So I, I found the limit in December and I tried to push harder through it where I, I should have taken like a week, yeah. been all nice and comfortable in my body. It would have and made And I my... just sat back and watched it happen. Yeah, you did. Um, well, it... because there was no point. No. There was no point me telling you what to do or what not to do at that point in time. <laughs> no, not like, at all. You were just going to do whatever it was that you thought you should do. You definitely didn't ask my opinion. Nope. <laughs> So No, because part of me knew that it was stupid. Of course it did. Asking your opinion would have verified that it was uh-huh. stupid. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, I mean, from a long-term perspective, January would have been a much more successful training month before mm-hmm. me. So, okay, so then what happened after that? So January didn't go so well because now you had to rehab your calf. Yes. And kind of slowly get back into your training. You had to take some time off. You had to drop your mileage significantly. I dropped mileage. I really pulled back extensively on speed. Yeah. So since I was pulling back a lot on speed, I also then focused a bunch on strength, which I can do without straining myself to the same level because there's less pounding Mm -hmm. when you're doing like strength workouts versus when you're doing speed workouts. Yeah. And I want to point this out to you guys too, because this is something that a lot of runners get wrong and it's one of the, the the myths that I am trying to break down out there because a lot of times when runners get injured they go to the doctor they go to see a physical therapist both of which are very well intentioned and that that medical provider says oh just take take some time off just rest it yeah i didn't have time for time off well and not but the, here's the thing you don't have to take time off. And a lot of times, just taking time off is not going to heal your running injury. Depending on what kind of an injury it is, especially if it's a soft tissue injury, it is best to load the tissue in a controlled manner. So what Kevin did is that he didn't just decide to rest and not run. I mean, you did for a short period of time, but it wasn't like a prolonged period. No, when it was like actual acute pain, when I right. was like limping just to walk. For like maybe I like a week, right? Yeah, I did not go and run because I was still limping just to walk. Yeah, not a good idea, right? So if you are having a lot of pain walking, it is not a good idea to just keep running, okay? But what I'm saying is, you know, once he got to a point where he was walking pain-free, now what he did was he reduced the training load on his body he was still loading the tissue so he was still running but he pulled back on mileage and he pulled back on speed so that the load the stress on the tissues was decreased but it wasn't completely eliminated right and then I gradually increased the volume while still making sure that my my intensity sessions Mm -hmm. stayed shorter right so that whole like 80 20 principle make sure that 20 percent is going at like a, a little faster clip I discarded that like my my 
faster stuff was a much smaller percentage because I knew in order to run this far, the most important thing for that aspect of training was to be able to run for a really long period mm-hmm. of time. In you know, in an ideal world, you'd build up a whole bunch of speed and then build up all the endurance, but that wasn't what I was working with. And I knew that my best chance of success was to lean in on the endurance side. Yeah. So 80-20 principle does not apply when you're rehabbing an injury. So right. make sure that you remember that too. That's a good thing to point out. Okay. So building back up slowly then where you're not doing any speed, you're really just focusing on, on building that mileage base back up to work yourself up to the 50. So like we said before, you did the double 20 a couple weeks before that. And then the 50 miles was the goal. So tell us, how did the run go? The run went probably about spoiler as, alert. He finished. Yeah, I finished. Yeah. So, so this time that, he was successful this to time. that end as successful as possible. Yeah. Like, because the, the, pure goal like there was no race there was no other competitor the competitor was me and getting back to the house after 50 miles yeah and and tell people the how you did this like did you just run like loops did you like tell us tell us exactly what you decided to do here okay so back in december the plan was there was a 10k loop it's a little over a 10k so if i did eight laps of it i would have hit basically right on 50 miles the way the the parts of miles work out there This time, I was like, all right, I don't want to do that exact same course. So I started with a loop that's about... And by course, he means the roads around our house. Yes. Yes, by course, (laughs) I mean I'm running sidewalks the whole time. Around our house. Because what he did was he set up an aid station, essentially, at our house. You know, all of the fueling so that... Fuel in the mailbox. Yeah, so that he wouldn't have to carry a bunch of things with him on the run. Right. So I carry a handheld water bottle. It's got a pocket for some food. And, you know, I start with, like, the, the blinky vest so I don't get run over by a car but and phone in my left hand always phone in my hand um for safety purposes for safety purposes and but that that way I'm basically carrying enough fuel for whatever that loop is so I opened with like a 12 and a half mile loop and then I did like a couple of six ish mile loops and then it started pouring Mm -hmm. and so then I stayed closer to the house for a couple reasons one it was pouring and I knew that and the lightning alarm went off too the lightning alarm didn't go off until like on my watch, it didn't go off until I was at like 40-ish miles. Yeah. Um, but the the rain started pretty hard, uh, just downpour around like 33-ish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, so then I was staying pretty close to the house because I wasn't feeling great. I wanted to make sure I was getting as much hydration as possible. Um, like I went out on, on a loop and tried to do like the another six. I headed out for a six and I'm two miles into it and my water bottle was empty already. Oh. I'm like, okay, I'm turning around and I'm going to refill the water bottle. Yeah, good So call. that right there was, okay, now I'm going to change it. I'm going to do closer loops, keep filling the water bottle as much as I need to. Mm-hmm. You were super helpful of anything that I needed. When I popped back by the house, it was like, all right, I need this into the water bottle. I need more fuel. I need more hydration, whatever it is. Yeah. So what was your plan for nutri- nutrition and hydration going into the run? Uh, my plan was to take in nutrition, 100 to 150 calories every five-ish miles. Okay. Um, and five-ish then, miles that takes, so that's every half an hour-ish, right? Like every 30 to 40 minutes. Yeah. So roughly every 40 minutes okay. is the goal. Um, and I just, I continuously hydrate which is one of my big takeaways from this one. Yeah. So as long as I'm carrying the, the handheld water bottle, I just kind of keep taking drinks off of that. And it's and never just water. There's always like calories in that thing That's also. what I was going to ask you. Yeah, like is it just water or what do you put in there? So there's I don't know, one of the um, energy powders that goes in there that mm-hmm. has a whole lot of calories added to it. And then my own personal concoction of fill up a water bottle and then just dollop some maple syrup into it. Is also a lovely way to get calories in. Is it delicious? It's fine. Okay. I mean, I would. I don't think that I'd like sit down at the breakfast table and be like, "Let's mm, have this." Let's have some maple water. <laughs> Thankfully, you can't see into the water bottle because it just looks like really dirty water. Um, but it's it's fine, yeah. and it's it's got more calories to it. So. Okay. So, do you think that you did a, a good job with nutrition and hydration on this run? I think I did a good job with calories. I don't think I did a good job with hydration. Okay. And um, what makes you say that? Because partway through, I started actually feeling like it was difficult to swallow when I was trying to take in real food. Mm. So we got these like, uh, I don't know, they kind of look like Fig Newtons. Mm-hmm. Um, Fig bars. And so I'm chewing on these guys and I'm like, I am struggling to swallow this. So I really had to take like a lot out of the water bottle to try and like cover for 
the fact that I didn't have enough saliva in my mouth to do it. Mm-hmm. Not having enough saliva in your mouth to swallow is a pretty good sign that you're dehydrated. Yeah. Well, so that's interesting. So you were both eating real food and also like using some gels, correct? Yeah. I mean, it's the only way I think I can get in enough calories constantly because mm-hmm. everything coming in has to have some calories to it. That was, yeah. my, that was my thought going in is if I'm taking it in, it needs to have calories. Yeah. So like plain water is pretty much not worthwhile for you. That was my thought. But I'm thinking for the next one, just because of how much hydration I'm I'm going to need mm-hmm. given the the race course and everything i think i'm going to have to take in some plain water along the way mm-hmm. um just because i have to ramp up the amount of hydration and if i take in all f- fluid comes in with calories i think i'm going to get stomach issues because your stomach can only process so many calories okay all right well I guess we'll see what happens. I mean, that's that's my new thought on this. That okay, was the big, then, one of my big takeaways. And then the other physical thing that you kind of have to think about is, is clothing, right? Like, did you change your clothing? Did you change your shoes along the way? What happened there? All right, so after it stopped raining, I was so close to the finish line that I didn't want to change my shoes and socks. I kept asking you to <laughs> every time I saw you. Like, do you want to change your clothes? You asked. I, I did not want to have to take my shoes off and try and get new socks on. Yeah. My shoes felt fine. I ended up with one teeny blister. I probably would have ended up with nothing if it didn't pour for like an hour out there. Yeah. Um, I should have changed my shirt from a singlet to a t-shirt and not burned the heck out of my shoulders. Yeah, that was actually one of the craziest things is you know in the following in the days following his run I'm like how are you feeling you know because I'm like the supportive concerned wife always you know checking in with him he's like honestly I'm doing well I just wish I didn't get sunburned like my skin is what hurts the most yeah my shoulders were yeah. like the most painful thing and not like sore painful like painful to the touch the sunburn like a lobster it's amazing it's amazing so anything else that you um any other takeaways like physically on, on like how you felt during the run like so I'm hearing you say that you want to uh, you know, kind of work on the hydration aspect. You think the fueling went pretty well, um, but any other physical takeaways? I think I will, starting early, add walking breaks where I do like marching drills because mm. I think it's going to keep my hips feeling better. Like the front of my hips were getting really tight. When did you start to feel that? Still um, around that like 30-ish? No, I mean, just once I was done, like late 40s, like that was the thing that started feeling really tired. The front of your hips. Yeah, like there was nothing like the calf I had going last time. Like you kept asking me like, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? Is anything particularly sore? And it's like everything. Yeah. Everything overall just feels really tired and sore. Yeah, and that's what I told you. That's a good sign. Right. You know, because like it it would concern me more if there was like one pinpoint area of like, yeah, it's my right calf or yeah, it's my left hip flexor. Like, but you're just like... Like, I'm just really tired and sore all over. I'm like, okay, welcome to 50 miles. Like, keep going. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, that was a good sign to me. Yeah, that's that's kind of my thought. So um, I think that it would be beneficial, one, to just keep getting in hydration early on, to just take a little break, hydrate well, and just do a few steps, you mm-hmm. know, slow down the pace, do a few steps of whatever, like, marching drill, butt kicks, something that yeah, just kind of Yeah, I was about to some... say, what about some running drills or something? Exactly, yeah. just some, like, running drills. It'll just kind of calm me down for a little bit and give me a chance to take in, you know, fuel or hydration mm-hmm. and then continue on my way. Yeah, it's a Without good really messing with pace overall at mm-hmm. all. Because you're not really concerned about pace on this run. No, you just kind of keep going. Yeah. I mean, is part of you, like, hoping to get a certain pace or a certain time, finishing time? I mean, there's, like, such wide ranges of time. It'd yeah. be great to get to bed at a reasonable hour mm-hmm. you know it starts somewhere between five thirty and 6 in the morning depending on when exactly I start yeah um so if I go for 16 hours that's still going to take what is that 10 o'clock at night mm-hmm. so you know that'd be neat yeah gotcha all right so let's move on to the mental aspect of this 50 mile run because what do you think about like this is one of the things that you know when I tell people that you ran 50 miles they're like what does he do the whole time? Like, does he just like black out? What does he think about? Does he listen to music? Does he listen to podcasts? Like what's going on? So tell us your mental at, like, can you like kind of walk us through like in the first 10 miles in the first 20 miles, like what the heck were you thinking the whole time? So I had a variety of podcasts I was <laughs> yeah. listening to, um, which I think was a good choice. Uh, when I did 31 miles, I don't know, a couple years ago, I had like one really long interview podcast that I listened to that took up most of my time. And then I kind of, 
I think I went to music afterwards. This one, I had a variety of different podcasts, which was good because there's like different, you know, just kind of cadence to the podcasts themselves. So that kind of took up a lot of mental space. But some of them are kind of science-y that I listened to. And it got to a point that it was just like, I don't want to think hard enough to listen to this podcast anymore. Um, Once it rained, started really pouring, I took the headphones off because it's hard to hear when it's raining that hard. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how well they hold up in the rain in the first place. I think they probably hold up well, but you can't hear anything because it was pouring. Did you leave them at home? Yeah. Okay. So then those just stayed at home. So the last... So the first like 32 miles-ish, you had were listening podcasts. to different podcasts. And then the last 20-ish, I was just out there. Okay. And so you never put the headphones back on? No. Okay. So then what, what about those miles? Then what? I don't know what happened with a lot of them, honestly. Like so the you people, did kind of black out. Yeah. So in trying to go back and think about the details about what I was thinking of, yeah. um, it's funny. I think it was actually the one of the first podcasts I listened to on this run. The person was talking about what they think about on long runs. They're like, oh, you know, I just go through, go out and solve the world's problems. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, well, do you just come home and solve them she goes no I usually don't remember by the time I get home (laughs) because that's what you do like you you problem solve but then you sometimes just forget what it is that you're thinking about like Mm -hmm. stuff always comes up and definitely um there are miles that just pass where I don't know what I'm thinking about where it literally just kind of blanks out which is really helpful Mm -hmm. on a run that far to just allow an hour to just disappear so is that like the key for us women to learn how to clear our brains? Is no, no, no. If you tried to go on an, more? if you personally tried to go on an ultra, I think your head would explode. Because <laughs> I know that Kevin and I, like, we laugh about it because there are times that I'll look at him like, what are you thinking about? And he's like, nothing. nothing? I'm like, no, no, really, what are you thinking about? And he's like, no, literally, I'm not thinking about anything. And it, I, I, I do not understand it. Like, my mind is always thinking about something. Yeah. So, but, I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm thinking about the... Just various things pop up in your mind. Yeah. You, you watch things around you. Because I'm not going as fast as I'm used to going. I'm taking walking breaks. So yeah. I'm literally like, you know, yeah, looking at in houses way, in the neighborhood. And it's running in a way that you're not used to at all. Right. When it was pouring, I was making an insane number of observations about the amount of worms on the sidewalk in front of me because it was ridiculous. But like, this is where your mind is. I'm like five hours in, so you're slightly loopy, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the difference between having somebody that you're doing an ultra with. Like a lot of people, when they do these long, long races, have a pacer that they can like talk to. I think for sanity benefits yeah. more than anything because you're just out there having crazy thoughts out there, yeah. which was a lot of it. So would you say that your thoughts were like mostly positive, mostly negative, kind of in between or kind of indifferent? All right. So this was a a question we had of like, what did you, what were your thoughts once you kind of hit that point where you're like, I'm tired and I don't want to keep doing this anymore. Yeah. And that hit somewhere in the like early Mm thirties. And I was like, okay, so there's like this spot that happens to all of us in all races where you're like, I don't want to be running this fast anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe the thought is I would like to quit. Maybe the thought is I would like to slow down. Yeah. So it was trying to like hold that thought for long enough that you had time to insert. Do I need to stop? Do I need to slow down? Do I need to take a walking break? And then objectively be able to answer that question. And maybe the answer is yes, I'm pretty tired. I still have 20 miles to go. I'm going to take a walking break now. Mm -hmm. Maybe the question is, no, I'm bored because I've been running for four hours and I would like to do something else. So walking break seems like something different. I don't need to slow down in that case. I can just keep on going. Um, So that was a big part of it. Then once it started raining, it brought me back to that point of just laughter of, yep, I was really, really tired. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to make it through. And oh, look, now it's now it's a flood. Mm-hmm. Like now there's literally a duck just swam across the path in front of me. <laughs> it didn't walk across the path. It swam because the puddle was so big that I was about to go through. It swam in front of me. That, so, that really happened? Yeah. Like it was like kind of floating <laughs> across the, and like, well, that's where the path is. So I guess I'm going through that now. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. So, you know, it's, there's some negative thoughts about, you know, this hurts, this doesn't feel good, I'm tired. This sucks. You just, you don't let them get that low, but you also can't let any of the I feel good thoughts get that high. Otherwise, you're also kind of stuck because mm-hmm. if you get too high, you, then you might come crashing real hard off of that. So you're trying to stay as close to the middle as possible? Yeah, you're going to have some positives, you're going to have some negatives, but I think you try and keep, in my opinion, I think you try and keep an even keel. Okay, and what does that look like? It looks kind of like accepting negative thoughts without dwelling on them. Okay. Like, all right, I don't feel good. Yep, 
Well, it makes sense that I don't feel so good right now. I bet if I keep running, I'll get through this and I'll feel fine. It, it's the objective of I'm not in so much pain that this is damaging me. It's I can keep going. Once I made it past 37, I knew I was making it to the finish. Mm-hmm. Like once I made it to the point that it was farther than I did in December, yeah. I knew I was making it to the finish. I was not sure at that point how much walking there was going to be, yeah. but I knew I was making it to the finish. And then once you get that mindset, you can have the negative thoughts because you're like, all right, cool, negative thought. <laughs> we're going to deal with that for a little bit because I'm still getting to the finish. Yeah. So then when you had those negative thoughts, would you just kind of let them be there or would you try to to flip them? It depends on how much energy you have at that point. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have the energy to try and flip the thought. And sometimes you kind of just sort of push it off to the side. Don't pay that much attention to it, but you don't have to, like, you're not shoving it down. Yeah. You're not ignoring it. It just, it's just there. Yeah. And it's you like let a, it come along for the ride. Sure. It's yeah. like, it's like a side stitch. Sometimes you have the energy to try and actively work out a side stitch, but I, I used to race the half mile in high school. You get a side stitch in the middle of the half mile. You just have a side stitch until mm-hmm. you finish that race. You're like you don't have the time and energy to try and like squeeze out the side stitch. It's two minutes of running really hard go. Yeah. So that was kind of my thought on this. Yeah. You know, and that's fun because that's something that some of my mentors talk about is like allowing negative emotion to to just be there. Like understanding that doubt is something that we will always be there. It will always be something that's available to us. If we're feeling anxious, if we have this sense of anxiety, like allow it to be there. Cause I think that so much, so many of us really waste so much energy trying to fight off these negative thoughts or trying to reframe them or flip them or, you know, trying to make them into something else, right? And if you can just allow that negative thought or that negative emotion to just be there and choose to just keep going... That's exactly, you know, what it sounds like you did. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't have enough energy to deal with your doubts and try and like, and keep running and fight them and confront them and flip the thought. Like you, you don't have the energy. You're still running. Like you just don't have energy to also take on that. So it's just like, all right, well, this is just a thing that I've got also Yeah. like, all right. So I'm carrying a water bottle and I'm carrying a little bit of self-doubt right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe after a couple miles, I'll be carrying a water bottle and the self-doubt would have fallen off. Yeah. Like that's kind of what you're hoping for. Right. But you don't stop along the way you just keep going you just keep going and and bring it in tandem yeah Yeah. it just comes along with you yeah that's I mean that's perfectly applicable to like the rest of life because I think that so many of us hold ourselves back and don't pursue dreams or goals that we might have because of the doubt because of the anxiety like we let that get in our way and if we were to just accept oh no 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 nothing has gone wrong here this is just a part of the process we're just going to bring this with us and continue to do it anyway yeah the doubt doesn't mean that you have to stop right doubt doesn't mean that something's going wrong doubt just showed up because you're doing something really hard mm-hmm. possibly something really hard that you've never done before so yep. of course there's doubt like it's a very natural thing you just go with it like so you, don't, you don't you don't get super excited because you're feeling good you don't get super low because you're feeling doubtful you just have the emotions that you have and you just keep on running mm-hmm. just bring it along with you yeah continuous forward progress i love that so much um anything else that you wanted to bring up as far as like the mental aspect of the 50 miles i think there was a lot of like the mental things that i went through on yeah. the run yeah I mean, that right there is showing you how much running really does prepare you for so many other things in life, you know, like just the mental skills of like allowing all of those things to just kind of be a part of the journey and keep going, right? All right, so let's wrap up by just kind of giving us a sneak preview of what your next five weeks look like between now and your 100-mile race. All right, so... From like a practical perspective, I'm going to want to get a little bit more weight back on. Mm-hmm. I lost seven or eight pounds during the 50 mile itself. Yeah. Um, you know, Easter and eating all day long and candy dishes all over the house was Lots super help- super helpful in getting that back on pretty yeah. quickly. Um, but I would like to get in a little bit more weight over the next month-ish. Um, I took several days off after the 50 miler, so I'm just trying to get back into consistently running, um, consistent strength training, not doing anything crazy new with strength training. I just want to maintain yeah. strength the way that I've done because it got me this this far. So mm-hmm. it, it seems like it's working for me. Um, and then workouts kind of focus on like the moderate effort, which is a lot of things that we tell people not to, but at this point for my training, kind of like tempo repeats, longer, steady efforts at like marathon pace. And then I think I'm going to get in another 
like double long run on a weekend, Mm -hmm. that should pretty much get me there. And then along the way, I want to make sure that I practice continuously eating and drinking on runs, not just long runs. Like, can I really stretch how much liquid I can take in on a run? So I might do that on like, you know, six mile, seven mile, eight mile runs, try and just see how much liquid I can take in. That's so good. And like, for those of you that are training for really a race of any distance, but especially like half marathon, marathon or beyond, this is part of your training, like understanding how to fuel your body, how to hydrate your body. A lot of people only think about the mileage, but understanding how to fuel your body during these runs is really important. And you can use, some people think they can only practice this on longer runs, which is totally not true. It could completely derail your longer run. Yeah. If you have a moderate distance run and you're like, I wonder if this fuel will work for me or if I'm going to get like an upset stomach, try it halfway through your moderate long mm-hmm. run, like a normal run and just see how it goes. Yeah. It's, it's a great one. Or, it's a great one. Or yeah. hydration is a good one, yeah, too. Yeah, you can literally practice your fueling or hydration strategy on any of your training runs, okay? Like, on the intervals, you know, like, how often should I be drinking, right? Like, should I be drinking every 10 minutes, every 15, every 20, whatever it might be, right? Practice those things on your shorter runs. Is it going to be exactly the same thing in your long run? No, not exactly. But like Kevin said, if it, it's going to cause a problem, then you'll probably notice that early enough. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you can really recognize some food and drink that might not agree mm-hmm. with you. Exactly. Um, all right, cool. Anything else you wanted to offer to our listeners before we wrap this up? No. I mean, I'm sure we'll come up with another one if I make it hundred miles. Yeah. Keep broadcast out of, uh, out of Key West. Oh, I mean, we're going to come up with, come up with a, another update regardless if you make it there or not. Excellent. Right. I mean, honestly, like if you make it to a hundred, or if you don't and you just decide that you need to pull out of the race, like we're going to do a podcast episode so that we can update everybody on kind of what happened along the way. Excellent plan. Aren't you excited? Very. Kevin loves talking about his feelings. I do enjoy my feelings <laughs> and being the center of attention. And you do. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kev. I think that this was really helpful for our listeners, um, for people that are training for races, and also just to hear your story because I think that, I mean, you definitely inspire me and a lot of other people that listen and follow us. Um, so if you guys have any questions, for Kevin or for us and how we're preparing for this race, um, feel free to reach out. Send me a DM on Instagram at Real Life Runners. I would love to connect with any of our podcast listeners. I love talking to you guys over there. So please feel free to send me a message. And if you have either, if you have or you haven't yet, please feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. I know every podcaster out there says it, but it really does help. It helps Apple know what people like and what people are listening to. So if you can leave us a review, if you can write a little, um, couple sentences about the podcast about what you enjoyed it would be super helpful to help us reach new people and get the podcast out there so thank you in advance for that hopefully you guys enjoyed this and we'll keep you updated on kevin's journey along the way so as always thank you for your time we appreciate you being with us this has been the real life runners podcast episode number 249 now get out there and run your life